golf and um i come around a corner and i see this really buffed dude shirtless with an ipod or his mm -hmm. phone you know strapped to his bulging bicep he's got headphones on he's jogging and i was probably on my phone tweeting i was rushing to meet you and i, I looked up and there's effing tiger woods and he was jogging at quite a good pace and you know, it's hot in Augusta. It's humid. Yeah, no hat on. The sun is beating down on you. It's like, this guy's crazy. Hello, this is Alan Shipnuck back for another podcast for the Knockdown. It's Masters Week, and we're going to talk about the Masters. And I am delighted to have my esteemed colleague and regular golf playing partner, Michael Bamberger, here to, to chew the scenery. Michael, thanks for being here. As we say in Augusta, yo, 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 what is up? <laughs> Maybe at the patch. Mm-hmm. Last time I was at the patch, there was an old-time caddy there. Jeremiah Beard caddied for uh, Fuzzy. He won the 77 uh, Masters Tournament with, uh, with Fuzzy. And uh, I was looking for somebody, and uh, Jerry Beard looks at me and says, you want a match? I think he could tell just by looking at me, I was going to shoot 96 at the match. <laughs> I look like easy pickings. Jerry Beard. You're plump pigeon. Mm -hmm. You spent a lot of time at the patch, actually. I've, I've logged some rounds there. Yes, it's under new under. Maybe we should explain what the patch is to the people. Please do. Well, the patch is a, uh, a public golf course uh, in Augusta. It is the... Uh, it's the Augusta Muni, and um, it's really not a very good golf course, but uh, it's uh, hard, literally, uh, not figuratively. Figuratively, it's short and wide. Like you need a hammer to get your tee you into the, the box. Do. Yeah. You do. You use your driver and you tap, tap, tap to get the tee in there. Uh, and it's called the patch because um, one of the early uh, greenkeepers uh, would grow uh, vegetables there uh, somewhere along the uh, near the 18th hole, I believe. Unless it's only a nine-hole course, but no, I think it's 18. And um, uh, anyway, it's a charming old spot. Well, it's – and probably right now the listeners are thinking, when are they going to tell us the odds of Dustin Johnson winning? We don't care. We, let's talk about our What are the odds of Dustin Johnson falling down a flight of steps again? It's slippery. You never know. One of those socks can be dangerous. <laughs> But you know, you know what's really funny about that is we stay in these rental houses just like the players do because there's very few hotel rooms in Augusta. And they have hardwood floors and hardwood on the stairs. And literally the day after Dustin had his spill, I was carrying my laptop like, like, a, like a, a waiter carries a tray of drinks. And I was going down the stairs, and I wasn't paying attention, and I missed a stair. My foot slipped. I almost wiped out too. And even worse, I almost dropped my computer. Then would who written our when who would have written our game story? I mean, calamity. That would so, have been bad. So there's a high wax factor in some of those McMansions. So I am very sympathetic to what happened to to Dustin. I mean, it can happen. And he gamely tried to play. Sort of. Yeah. I mean, how many holes did he play? Did he play eighteen? No, he went to the first. He, he went walked, to the, he he went to the he first tee and uh, kind of did a few stretches and he was out. But I mean, for all the conspiracies that float around about what did or did not happen. Because I almost died on the stairs at Augusta Rental, I completely believe Dustin. A Hall of Famer said to me that week, I think it's incumbent, and I think we're going to be able to guess who it is just by the tone, even though I'm not going to reveal it. I think it's incumbent upon Dustin Johnson to say exactly what happened that night. And I said to said Hall of Famer, really? I think he probably fell down the steps like he said he did. 
why would it be anything other than that? Because it's Dustin and because of his um, some excellent reporting by the man I'm staring at right now, Michael Bamberger, we know of past proclivities and people want to believe that there's there's some, you know, foul play or but I think he just slipped. I lie about my drug use, too. It's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> Moving on. So one of the things about Masters Week that is different and fun for us is that we are not in hotels. We're, we're in a house and we get to hang out. How about that time when we were in Westlake? Tell me if I have this right. Did you see Tiger Woods, his own self, jogging one morning? Yes. So Westlake is this this big development um, about 15 minutes from the Augusta National Golf Club and huge McMansions built largely for the purpose of hosting people Masters Week. So it's six bad you know bedrooms and seven baths. And that was the M.O. of the developer to sell uh, houses for one week a year. Yes, because then you can rent them for $15,000 and it pays your whole mortgage basically for the entire year. Interesting. No one builds a house in Augusta with like two bathrooms. You can't rent it because mm-hmm. you're going to have you're going to have six or seven people there. So mm-hmm. anyway, so a lot of the players stay out there, and if you drive around the Westlake development, there's lawn signs. It'll say Golf Magazine. It'll say IMG. I mean, it's actually a great way if you're looking to like plan a burglary. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, there's the Rolex house. Maybe I'll check that out. Mm-hmm. Two in the afternoon, I was at the golf course. But anyway, so. I was just driving around. In fact, I think I was driving to Westlake Golf Club, which is we spend a lot of our time Masters mm-hmm. week playing golf. And um, I come around a corner and I see this really buffed dude, shirtless, with uh, either you know an iPad or, or an iPod or his mm-hmm. phone, you know, strapped to his bulging bicep. He's got headphones on. He's jogging. And the, if you know. Right as you're com- getting very close to the the golf club, there there's this dead man's curve. It's like a decreased yeah. radius turn. Yeah, and I was t- I was late. I think to meet you, and you don't want to be late to to. Don't meet tell me you nearly took out Tiger I, Woods his own self. Because he was he was driving uh. he was jogging against traffic. He was on the wrong side of the road, and. I was probably on my phone tweeting. I was rushing to meet you. And I, I looked up and there's effing Tiger Woods. And like literally the tires chirped a little bit. I'd like jacked on the wheel. And I wasn't, it happened so fast. I wasn't even sure it was him. But then about 100 yards behind him, there was these two kids in a golf cart, like clearly just following him. And I was like, oh my God, that's Tiger. So actually I did a U-turn. I was like, Michael can wait at this point. Yeah, this absolutely. is like, this is some I good report. Want, yes. Yeah. The, the, the reporter's instincts kick in. So then I like, I stalked Tiger for about a quarter mile. And it was definitely Tiger. And he was jogging at quite a good pace. This was like, I think this was Wednesday. And I mean, you know, it's hot in Augusta. It's humid. He had no hat on. The sun... The sun is beating down on you. It's like, this guy's crazy. He was famous for doing that sort of thing. But you know what's odd is how seldom you saw Tiger anywhere off campus, you know, in 20, what, two years now? Is it, has he been a pro for 22 years? If I've seen him four times off campus, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. You know what's funny is I had the misfortune of covering the old Buick in Grand Blank, Michigan, and is such a boring week and all the players stayed in this one hotel and I would stay there too because it was great for observational reporting you'd mm-hmm. see guys at breakfast you'd see them in the elevator you could eavesdrop on their conversations it was fabulous and and there was only a few restaurants people would go to because there was only a few restaurants there and and Tiger being a Buick guy he didn't want to show up but he did and but you never saw a Tiger mm-hmm. and it was always this thing like as you're saying where is Tiger staying because the players cluster in the same few places at some of these these smaller events and, right you know in akron or places like that there's nowhere to hide and yet 
Tiger did. I mean, now we kind of know why he wanted his privacy. Right. But as you say, it's always been one of those mysteries. There's a sad moment in the new, uh, the new Tiger book that's out uh, uh, by Armin Katayan and um, Jeff Benedict. One, one of the things they talk about is after the hydrant uh, event, uh, and he's still living in Isleworth, where would he go for his meals? You know, Elin was out of the house, probably wasn't a housekeeper coming in or a cook or anything. You know, and he was sort of, uh, the impression I had from reading it, if I'm remembering it correctly, was just sort of go to the back door of the kitchen and they would bring him food. But, you know, a person needs to eat, and it's kind of weird that we never see Tiger Woods uh, anywhere. But just going back to Westlake for a second, um, so I'm a jogger, uh at best, uh, and uh, and one morning I went for a jog at Westlake, and then I went to check out the gym in the uh, Westlake uh, clubhouse. Not that I was ever going to use it. I'm not a gym person, but I just wanted to see what it looked like or see who might be in there. And I opened the door, and there's only one person in there, and it was Mark Steinberg. And I really – and Mark Steinberg is Tiger Woods' uh, agent, uh, as some of our listeners would know. And uh, at best, I've got a nodding acquaintance with this guy. I mean, to engage him in conversation, I have done it about four times. In the it's text. painful, right? Yeah, it's it's difficult to do. But anyway, I really had no intention of using the gym at all. But then I saw Steinberg working out so hard in there, and he made eye contact with me and thought, it's going to be weird if I just open the door and then leave. So then to save face, I actually pretended to do some kind of workout only to try to satisfy Mark Steinberg. How weird is that? And what does that say about me? I don't, don't answer that question because I don't want to know. But, but did then, you really say face? I mean, you're doing bicep no, curls. I don't with, even know what I'm doing. With two and a half pound weights. I yeah. Mean. I mean, I was like, where are, the, where are the oars for that one thing, whatever they call it? No, I don't even know what I'm doing. But then Rory came in with his then girlfriend, uh, helped me with the last name, Carolyn Wozniacki. Wozniacki. Well, well played, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So, and uh, that was very impressive. Uh, I spied on that whole thing just as any reporter would. And, and Rory went one place, and, and Carolyn came in with a, a trainer of her own. And her thing was more interesting than what Steinberg or Rory were doing because uh, she would rev up, um, what do you call the thing that you run on, the treadmill, yeah. to a really high rate of speed. She would jump on it, run really hard for 30 seconds, not slow the thing down, literally jump off, jump back on, jump back off. It was like she was fit. And she had purplish or pink hair because she had dyed her hair that That's year. Right. I remember, remember that. that. Yeah. Uh, I think she caddied possibly for Rory um, in the I, par I, three tournament. I followed him in the par three. It was That's interesting. It was the very sweet uh, little moment. And then it, it all blew up like a month later. Yeah, but we do have some good times. Now, our, our colleague, I hope we can go here. And if we can't, you just tell me. No, I'll go there. Go but, there. But uh, uh, our colleague, uh, Gary Vince Sickle, once, we're always, we're, we used to, and maybe we still do have these um, surveys that we uh questions that we post to the players uh what do we used to call that but you're yeah the player poll the yeah. player poll and uh uh and one of the questions uh, and we're trying to come up with new questions if you could only win one major what would it be uh, have you ever ran out of golf balls whatever odd little thing and van sickle's uh question one year was uh have you ever had sexual relations uh in the city of augusta or richmond county and i think that would have been a very interesting thing because i don't know there's something about that it's city not, and county. It it's not work. a sexy place. It's not particularly, no. I mean, <laughs> those houses creep me out, right? Like, so one time when I was an intern, this is back in the 90s. Um, in fact, it was the first Masters I covered in 94. And we were on a, I, the houses weren't as big and grand back then. And I actually had to share a room with Sally Jenkins. She, w she was at Sports Illustrated. Daughter of Dan Jenkins. Da daughter of Dan Jenkins. Mm -hmm. And there was in our room a stuffed raccoon like 
fangs bared and claws. It was so creepy. And so Sally, at some point, draped over this raccoon some lacy unmentionable so we wouldn't have to look at this raccoon and it wouldn't haunt our dreams but um yeah funny things happen in westlake i remember our 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 great friend and former colleague jaime diaz and i we were um, we were kind of drag racing it was late at night it was after some dinner we were like driving way too fast and jaime lost control and hit the curb and like blew up his tire the hubcap went flying off with great velocity into the woods <laughs> i got out of the car i was in front of him but i saw it in my rearview mirror i could hear it and i stopped the car i couldn't even breathe i was laughing so hard and jaime's like God damn it. You know, this is, this is going to be so expensive. Like, I'm going to have to make up a story that a deer ran out in front of me and, <laughs> and I swerved to avoid it. And you're going to be the witness. And, you know, if anyone from Hertz calls you, you better tell them that's what happened. It's like, of course, Jaime, I'll take care of you. That's but, um, funny. <laughs> like, uh, it's, it's, Jaime was just like me. He was extremely challenged about uh, driving within uh, Westlake, which is it's challenging. Amazing. It's amazing. It's Medina Place, Medina Drive, oh, right. the, Medina Road. Or we got, we have to mention it. this, that all the all the roads are named after great golf clubs. So, yes. But they, there is, they, they don't, it's not linear. It's not, it's no. not Midtown Manhattan grid. So. Right, right. It's all circuitous. Well, I think this is probably a good opportunity to tell a Jaime story that I've told many times, but it's probably worth telling again. Uh, so Jaime's worked for different publications. Uh, he's worked for Golf Digest, Sports Illustrated, very famously, uh, and uh, in the New York Times as well. He's now, is, uh, as most people would uh, know, a... Uh, uh, one of the commentators on on Golf Channel, um, but anyway, in a period that he was uh, with the New York Times, he uh, flew into Augusta, uh, not Masters Week, before the Masters, uh, to do some kind of uh, story, and he took a cab from the uh, airport uh, to Augusta National, and he had a Southern driver, and the and the driver says uh, uh, they're talking, and uh, driver says, "What's your name?" and uh, and Jaime says, oh, "My name's Jaime," and. Uh, and the guy says, um, and what do you do? He says, uh, and Jaime says, uh, I'm a reporter for uh, the New York Times. And the uh, cab driver says, Jaime Diaz, New York Times. Jaime, you a Jew? <laughs> Which is especially funny if you know Jaime as we do because he's not a he is not Jewish, but he's very much a Judeophile and he's interested in the religion. So, but, but his father's from Spain, his mother's from Mexico. Right. I mean, it's, right. the guy was slightly off. Oh, though you certainly could be from Spain and Mexico and be Jewish. Yeah. But anyway, he was thinking H Y M I E, which of course is the name of uh, of, of one of the old uh, agents um, in Get Smart. Was there was one called uh, Jaime. And uh, and Jaime's thing was well, he was a robot. That was that's really the thing. He was a robot, and, it went, and he was very literal as robots tend to be. And at one point, uh, Jaime, uh, the agent on uh, Get Smart, uh, says to Chief, uh, Chief says to him, Jaime, could you give me a hand? And uh, Jaime says, Sure, Chief. And he unscrews his hand and gives it to Chief. That's that's good comedy, right there. Well, yeah, it is good comedy. Actually, I have a Jaime story. This is either my first or second masters, and there's these sweet old ladies who work at the front desk of the media center now palatial we used to, used to be a the press tent that's the terminology we prefer but people call it the mm-hmm. media center which is a pet peeve of mine mm-hmm. we're not media we're reporters mm-hmm. it's a difference I mean, we yes. work in a press tent yes no work in a media center right. but anyway these one of these pseudo ladies gets on the pa system and um is making an announcement jamie diaz jamie diaz <laughs> come to the front desk jamie diaz so uh, we should we need, we need to get jaime on the pod yes but that's a that's a different pod so let's. Yes. So 
there's so many things about Masters Week that is unusual. We've talked, we've touched on the accommodations. We haven't touched on the peach cobbler, which is no longer available on the lunch menu. That sort of it's a, diminished the whole luncheon experience. Like, what's the point? So it's amazing that in this day and age that they give reporters clubhouse access. I can't believe that hasn't gone away. I can't either. Uh, although I did learn from our colleagues, uh, Scott Michaud and David Weston, uh, uh, two uh, great reporters and, and good friends from the uh, from the Augusta Chronicle, that as of the, this year, these are the things that worry us. We no longer have access to the Augusta National Pro Shop to buy our goods. Oh, that's that's disappointing. Because you could actually get stuff that said Augusta National Golf Club instead of just the generic Masters. So right. it was a little cooler. But the clubhouse and the cobbler is relevant because that was one of our traditions. We'd go sit on the back porch upstairs and just dine. And it was very restricted access. It was basically Augusta National members, past champions, current members of the field. And so we'd be sitting at a table and Jack would be sitting next to us or Ben Crenshaw or- Billy Casper. Yeah, it was uh, amazing. All sorts of Spanish golfers and their entourages. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's great, as we say, observational reporting. And upstairs, you're close to the, the champion's locker room. And so they would just wander out, and it yeah. was it was very collegial. You know, everyone, yeah. everyone's chatting. Well, we and, still can get there. We just can't get the peach cobbler. I know, but one of the reasons that I believe they plowed you know a hundred zillion dollars into this new press center is so we won't go to the clubhouse. They've they've got this very good little restaurant now, and they've, the food has gotten much better. And I think part of that motivation is to keep us out of the clubhouse because. If you go to the clubhouse, you have to pay in cash, mm -hmm. and if you stay in the press room, it's free. So, mm -hmm. um, I think we should let's let's renounce the free food. Let's go back to the clubhouse. Yes, and well, it didn't. It did not. The palatial new uh, uh, press building did not um, stop me from going to the clubhouse for various meals, particularly breakfast, uh, which is one of the. Really, I, I, really, really nice. No, really I mean, they treat us. They treat us great. There's something. It's. I think it is actually uh, important to remember. Even for, there's a lot of things that go on in Augusta National. You're not going to love all of it, but I think it is actually helpful to remember. At the end of the day, it's a private club that one week a year invites the whole world to come in, but it's still sort of their club. And I kind of do actually respect it, even though some of the stuff they does. I know, but you want to use the phrase creeps you out, but that's not really the right phrase. But it's their club and they can do it their way. It is their tournament. It's their invitational tournament that the whole world comes in and watches. Uh, so I guess what I'm trying to say is I think it is extremely nice of the club that they do allow us uh, to come in and, and use the clubhouse. Um, and it adds to the atmosphere uh, for us. And I think we write differently about it um, because we're sort of inside for that one week. So this this is a point of departure for us. So that Masters Week is one of my least favorite weeks of the year. In fact, Jeff Russell, uh, who's a Golf Channel guy, said to me, I, come, I think it was two years ago, it was Wednesday. He's like, man, why are you so grumpy? I said, what are you talking about? He said, your tweets, you're so grumpy. I said, I am. And mm -hmm. I said, you know, I realize I wake up on Monday Masters Week, I'm in a bad mood because it's so hard to do our job there. They tell you where you can and can't go. You can't use your phone. You can't tweet. You can't. You can't go in this parking lot. You can't go in this room. You can't go here and there. Like when I'm covering these tournaments, I'm always, as are you, trying to get exclusive stuff. You've got 500 reporters there. I don't want to get stuff out of a press conference. I don't, don't want to get it out of the the flash quotes. Like I want my own material. And so there used to be a great 
spot, essentially the front of the clubhouse where the player parking lot was, you could hang out there and you could catch guys and most people still do that. We're not allowed there anymore. They changed it as of last year. So I had this whole run in. I was talking to Paul Casey, um, and this we can hang out on those benches. Uh, no, you at can't. The be, Magnolia Drive. You cannot be on the front side of the clubhouse anymore. You have to be on the back side. And so uh, I'm talking to Casey, and one of the Pinkertons comes up and is like, "Sir, you need to, you need you can't be here." I said, uh, "I've been doing this for 20 plus years. I've always stood in this exact spot, and it's all good." And he said, well, uh, I'm sorry, sir, you have to leave. And so to Paul Casey's everlasting credit, he's like, we're conducting an interview. You know, can you please leave us alone? And so we finished talking and I, I beat a path. I, I, went, I went to the guy. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, the policy's changed. I said, no, no one told me that. But obviously this is not his call. He's just the guy who's doing what right. he's told. So I went and I found one of the green coats who kind of helps manage the, 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 the media stuff. I said, what the heck, man? This is like prime spot to talk to players and he said well i'm sorry but um the chairman and you know that's what they call billy payne now fred really it's like you're like mao you're like the chairman right the chairman um doesn't want reporters hanging out and on this side of the clubhouse i said well the chairman doesn't understand how we do our job like i don't he said the guy you know i won't use his name i don't want to get him in trouble because you're not supposed to even talk about this kind of right. policy right he's like well, we have this nice flash area. I said, yeah, there's 50 people here. They're right. all recording this stuff. Like, I want my own material. I said, I don't think the chairman understands how we do our job. Yeah. And he gave me the shit-eating grin, and he says to me, well, he doesn't have to. Uh-huh. And I said, well, truer words have never been spoken. Yes. And so, you know, I, I love the Masters as a golf tournament. I think Augusta National is a really fun tournament venue, but it is hard to do your job. I mean, we can't get inside the ropes, so it's hard with – 50,000 fans, it's hard to watch golf. They used to have these these viewing towers in selected spots where reporters could go up and like peer down on the course. Like they took those yeah. away. Yeah, um, some beautiful spots in 18 most especially. Yeah, if you don't go to 18 an hour ahead of the last group, you're not going to see the final putt. Yeah. Um, you know, they've got everyone herded into these, these little flash quote areas. Um, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that make, make it hard to cover the masters. And so there is one spot, I shouldn't even reveal it because I don't want anyone else to go there, but you can still get there. And it's where a lot of people gather to watch loved ones play on, you know, on TV, they get tired of fighting the crowd. So you get the wives, the parents, the swing coaches. And last year I was, I was hanging out there and I had a long chat with, um, Sergio Garcia's father-in-law you know marty akins and he was he just filled it up i mean he was fantastic and he was sitting in this leather chair i was kind of kneeled down next to him taking notes and chatting and on the end table there was this book it was um the i forget the exact name shoot it was like the words and wisdom of bobby jones or something Mm -hmm. and so eventually marty got up and i just sat in that chair Uh and i flipped through the book and it was just bobby jones's uh, thoughts on the game right. and he's such a brilliant guy he was such a good thinker and a beautiful writer you know he was a lawyer and he was not just a golfer right and um and this was on saturday and writing the a big magazine story for sports illustrated is a challenge you know you, right people already know who won you have to educate entertain them you need a different take you need a different way in right. you, you need to, it needs to have a little literary flair you, you can't just write a basic story about um, what happened those days are gone and so I'm, I'm sitting there and I, I start flipping this book I'm like you know I could maybe build my story around some of these quotes mm-hmm. and so 
I, um, I spirited that book away uh-huh. back into the press room just in case. Uh-huh. And in fact, on Sunday, I wound up pulling about 10 of these Bobby Jones quotes and putting them in my story. And it added a nice touch because the I way- I remember it well. Yeah, the way everything played out, the, the quotes just worked out perfectly. So then on Sunday night, I was like, well, should I take the book back to the clubhouse? At this point, it's like 11 or, or midnight. And it's like, you, you know, they're already breaking down the the, the tournament infrastructure mm-hmm. you, you can get around but it's dark and you're in this gray area are you supposed to be there i was like it's just not worth it so i took the book home <laughs> i still have it but i plan to return it this year i'm, I'm, I'm just gonna just gonna, funny. like stuff it into my shirt and put it back on the same end table and we'll see what happens um that's neat the uh it's uh amazing how insightful jones was as a writer you know some of his just little kiss off lines are some of the most insightful things you know one of the most famous ones is you may take it from me there's golf and there's tournament golf and they are not at all the same thing and it's like you know he wrote that probably in the 30s and uh truer words have never been spoken you know and tiger woods and everybody else will say you know i can do it at home and i can't do it on the golf you know i can't do it in, in a tournament necessarily um uh, even when Tiger had the chip yips, uh, people were saying for a while that uh, he could chip at home, but he couldn't do it uh, under, uh, under tournament conditions. But, I mean, Jones obviously keenly, uh, keenly understood that. Um, well, speaking of access to unusual places, do you think this is an opportune time and place for you to uh, tell the uh, the story of Butler Cabin? Yeah, we might as well go there. Mm-hmm. So everyone knows Butler Cabin is, is where they do the green jacket ceremony, but the choreography on, on Sunday evenings is such that the, some some dude wins the Masters, and then he has to do the the indoor green jacket ceremony. Then he does the outdoor green jacket ceremony. Then he goes to the press conference, and then after that, they the winner and his family dines with the Augusta National members in the clubhouse. It's one of those cute old traditions. And through all of this, they make Butler Cabin available to the players, friends, and family to kind of relax after the jacket ceremonies. They have about half an hour to, to wait out the press conference. They'll bring the champion back, give him 15 minutes with his family to enjoy and, and clean up a little bit, and then they go to dinner. And in 2007, I I did a big story on Zach Johnson. I was, I was friendly with his family, and he wins the Masters. And so I just walked in with him into Butler Cabin. It was great. And you know, he comes in, and everyone's crying, and he, you know, he has like this 20-second hug with his dad, which is an eternity for a hug. Mm-hmm. It's really moving. Mm-hmm. I wrote about it. And uh, it really helped my story. And again, as if you're writing, anytime you and I write anything, we want it to be different than what everyone else is doing. And mm-hmm. um, so when you get that kind of access, it's, it's really special. It really elevates the piece and it takes readers places they can't otherwise go. I mean, no one gets in a butler cabin, right? So that was cool. And actually after Phil won in 2010, I was, um, I was talking with with Amy, and we walked into the cabin and uh, together. But I didn't linger because I was getting the stink eye from Steve Loy, his agent, and mm-hmm. um, it was just a different vibe. Mm-hmm. In fact, his his kids were sitting on on the the couch. One was like on an iPad, and the other was on the on one of his, one of his daughters was on the her phone, and it wasn't. I think everyone was so wrung out emotionally. You know, Amy, they should just come through the cancer. It, was, it just was a different feeling. So I, right. I didn't want to overstay my welcome. Right. But so I'd already been in the cabin twice. And so when, the first time that Bubba won um, the Masters in 12, he, um, I forget, I think he was five shots off the lead going into Sunday. He might have been in like 14th place or 12th place. He was, not, he was in it, but he wasn't really in it. Right. And when, when you're writing the game story, as you know, 
you, you have to you, you can't report 14 people at once right you have to make an educated guess and you, 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 you got to get lucky to some and you got to get lucky so you take the two or three people you think are going to win and you chase them hard and you you, you do phone interviews and you talk to their their, their people and you, you stake them out on saturday night in the locker room or the range or whatever and and if you're lucky one of them wins and you have a lot of material and if not it's a mad scramble on sunday and so I did not see Bubba hit a shot in person until the 72nd hole. He, I, he just wasn't on my radar screen. Right. And like, oh my God, Bubba Watson's going to win the Masters. And so a few months earlier at Kapalua, I had um, I'd made the acquaintance of his trainer. Uh, I don't want to use his name either, but he, nice guy. Not the smartest dude I've ever met, but sweet in mm-hmm. the puppy dog sort of way. And so I see him um, on the 72nd hole. I said, Bubba's going to win. And I have I've to, got nothing. I've got nothing. It's probably gonna be a cover story. Like help. And I said, and so I said, here's the deal. After the, the jacket ceremony, you guys are gonna walk into Butler cabin. I'm gonna walk in there with you. He's like, great. That'd be awesome. I said, okay, cool. So that's what I do mm-hmm. now. Knowing it, this is a gray area. There's no sign on the door of Butler cabin that says, you know, no media. Mm-hmm. Are you allowed in there? I mean, who knows? I've already done it twice. Mm-hmm. Do the green jackets want me there? Probably not. But again, it's just one of those things. It sort of comes into the broad category of don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> yeah, like a lot of things. So, but just to facilitate the process, I take my credential off and I stuff it in my pocket because the Augusta National Golf Club, they don't know who Bubba, Bubba's people are. Mm-hmm. It's just 25, you know, strangers. Right. And they're, you know, oh, this is Bubba's mom, this is whatever. And so, I just go in with the herd, and it's it's fantastic because like Fowler's in there, Aaron Badalay. Um, is this after Nance's already done the the initial? The, yeah, is that, this it, is the second go round in Butler. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, right after the tournament ends, they do the indoor. Right. Uh, and Butler Cabin's huge. It, in, in the basement, there's a TV studio. It's like a four bedroom. It looks right. small, but it's gigantic. And so, so they do they do that ceremony. Then they do the outdoor ceremony, which is beautiful and it's so much more elegant. That's one that should be on TV instead right. of the, the the stiff right plastic one they do but anyway then they take bubba to the press conference so i'm in the cabin and i'm not taking notes you know i'm just hanging out i've got a cocktail like everybody mm-hmm. else and it's a nice scene although they're all teetotalers i was probably drinking like diet sprite or something mm-hmm. but um and this guy named buzzy johnson who works for the club he he spots me he just knows who i am and so he comes up to me he's like hey alan do you know this is a private gathering i said um well, Bubba's best friend and trainer invited me. And so I was just, you know, took the invitation. I'm just kind of hanging out. He's like, oh, okay. And he, he walks right over to Bubba's agent, uh, a guy named Jens Beck, who I'm pals with now, but I never met because Bubba was not like a big time player before he right. won the Masters. And I just had never done a big story on him. And, and so I can see, you know, Buzzy's like, you know, whispering to Jens. And he, I'm sure he said to him, do you know who that guy is? And Jens is like, no. And so then, um, so Buzzy comes back to me. And by the way, Buzzy is not related to Hootie. That's just how they do mm-hmm. it down there. So Buzzy comes up. He's like, yeah, you need to go. I said, okay. Now, this whole time, Bubba's been doing the press conference, he, which is on closed circuit TV in uh-huh. the cabin. And while I've gotten a lot of great material and I've talked to the family and mm-hmm. I've really fleshed out who Bubba is and this improbable journey, to really make the anecdote you know, sing, I need Bubba in the cabin. Mm-hmm. It's a little incomplete without Bubba. So mm-hmm. I have to. Now, all of a sudden, I look at the TV. Bubba's gone. It's just an empty it's an empty microphone. So I know that he's in a cart on, on his, his way, way to Butler Cabin. Right. 
Now he's probably, there's some autograph seekers and there might be some radio guys. He's got to navigate, but he's going to be there in a matter of minutes. Right. So I say, okay, Buzzy, no problem. Um, um, you know, sure. You got it. So I slowly, I, I, I take my drink back to the bartender and, and then I seemed like, you know, I kind of had to go to the bathroom. So I decided I would just use the facilities and Butler cabin. It made sense. So I go in the bathroom, I lock the door and then I'm in there and I'm checking my phone and you know, I'm. I'm washing my hands. I'm like slow playing the whole thing. And as I knew what happened, when Bubba walks in the door, there's an explosion of noise. You know, everyone's going crazy. I'm like, okay, Bubba's here. And so I, I open the bathroom door. You know, I f do a courtesy flush. I'm not sure I even used the facilities. I probably did. But anyway, and I open the door and standing in the doorway, arms crossed, looking pissed off, is Jim Armstrong, who was then the general manager of the club. He's like, uh, we're going to escort you out of the cabin. I said, okay, sure, Jim. I just had to go to the bathroom, you know? And, um, and at that moment, this was like one of the bedrooms off of the main living space where everyone had gathered. Right. Bubba walks into that bedroom because the jacket he had picked out was a little big and he wanted to try on some other possibilities. Uh -huh. And so I say, Bubba, congratulations. And he's like, thanks, man. He's like, look at all these jackets. I got like six jackets, you know, whatever it was. It was just a cute little moment. I was like, okay, I got Bubba in the cabin. I'm out. And Did um, you use that moment? Of course. Uh -huh. And um, I used the whole thing. It was uh -huh. like the last like five paragraphs of my story. Uh -huh. Anyway, to make an extremely long, painful story a little bit shorter, the, um, the Green Jackets deemed that me being in the cabin was, a, quote, a procedural violation. And I was put in the penalty box the following year. So in the end, they made it clear I shouldn't have been there. But, but you still came that year, didn't you? <laughs> Yeah, so they didn't credential me for 2013, and um, which is fair play, you know, they felt like I'd violated a rule that never been written before. But mm -hmm. okay, but the um, as you know, Wednesday night of Masters Week, there's the Academy Awards of Golf Writing. It's Did the, you win for the game story? So <laughs> I didn't, but so we give out writing awards. But I I won for I got a first place for this oral history of the 2011 final round where eight guys were tied for the lead and it was, it was a crazy day and I recreated it. That story ran in 2012 in our preview. Uh -huh. So in 2013, I had to pick up the award. Right. So I called um, our boss and David Clark. I said, you know, I'm not credentialed for the masters, but um, there's this dinner. Should I go? He's like, yeah, go and plant the flag, give a speech and whatever. So I flew cross country just to give this speech. Uh -huh. And as, of course, as you know, Michael, at the, um, the dinner, there's always like a dozen green jackets there because they have different ceremonial roles and whatever, and they're giving out their own award. And some of them just like to come to the event. And so I obviously had a lot of time to prepare this. So I got up and I gave a speech, and the whole message of it was, let us do our job. Mm -hmm. That that we're all stakeholders in the game. And the reporters, if we can get people excited about, about the sport and about the masters, that's good for everyone. Mm -hmm. But to, to, to engage the fans, don't tell us where we can stand. Don't tell us where we can do interviews. Don't tell us where we can tweet. Don't tell us how to use our phones. Don't tell us where to be and what to do. Just let us do our jobs. And that, and it was, it was kind of a pissy little speech. Mm -hmm. Um, I had my phone in my back pocket. I was on vibrate and the whole time I'm up at this podium in front of like hundreds of people, I could feel my phone vibrating because uh -huh. everyone in the room was already like texting me, you know, tweeting me, whatever. Uh -huh. Cause it was such like a, um, it wasn't quite a screw you to the green jackets, but it was more like a mission statement for, uh, in, in this, in this era where I feel like we're always battling for access right. and was always trying to take away our ability to tell stories. And, um, 
And Scott Michaud, who you mentioned, he was sitting at the table with a bunch of the Augusta National members. So it was it was rather awkward uh, moment. Mm -hmm. But in the end, I was happy that I flew across the country to give a 90 second speech because I thought it was an important message. Yeah. And whether I don't think they heard it because now we've gotten booted out of the front side of the clubhouse. But nevertheless, we're still fighting the good fight. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll always have peach cobbler. And we'll always have the peach cobbler if we can. Well, we won't because it's not on the menu, actually. I know. Well, there's a lot in that story. Uh, there's a lot in that story. A lot for our listeners uh, to think about. Uh, uh, it's interesting. Uh, but, you know, I've done the same thing. We we like to sneak around to find something uh, you can't find. I mean, tell, tell us about Brooks Kepka last year at the U.S. Open uh, uh, Sunday night. What, what, there well, was something – I yeah, don't well, remember the specifics of it, but I know you got Brooks by yourself. Yeah, well, this is this is how humble you are, Michael. It's because of you. So I had – I'm writing Brooks Kepka, and I had a lot of material on him, but again – I was looking for, like, you're always looking for... I got to interrupt you. You had a lot of material on Brooks Kepka. I did. You, you are you are the best of the best because Brooks Kepka is not easy to get a lot of material on. There's only two people who do, you and Garrett, John, or our great friend and colleague, uh, John Garrity. Yeah. But, well, just as a quick aside, I've said this to you before. People who are listening who are interested in, in seeing a, a, an expertly written game story, go read Alan's uh, game story about Brooks Koepka winning the U.S. Open because, honest to God, I would not have known how to make that U.S. Open win by Brooks Koepka. It was boring. Interesting beyond the 200th word of the story, and yeah. you really pulled off start to finish. But yeah. there was something – I know there was right. a scene Sunday night well, so, that you, ca that so you again, captured. As we were talking about, you, you have to – I just had a, I had a feeling he was going to win even on Friday. For, I don't know why, but so I was kind of bird dogging him and his people, and I got some great scenes and um, some some awesome interviews. I didn't actually I didn't have any scenes, but I had a lot of material. I had I had his backstory. I had a lot of good thoughts on Brooks, but I didn't have anything to bring him to life. Mm -hmm. And so Sunday, I'm, I'm in the press room and I'm laboring over the story. And you called me and you said um, you were heading to the parking lot, but <laughs> Michael doesn't even remember this. this is great. And he's like, you're like Brooks Kepka is in. They had because Aaron Hills didn't have a clubhouse. They put up this big tent for the players. It was like right. their locker. Oh, like, engraving. You're, you're like, yeah, you're like Brooks okay. Kepka is, is hanging out while they engrave the trophy. You should come down and check it out. I was like, I think I might. So I went down there. I found him, and it's it's this old guy with the the right out central casting with the white hair and the and the the, the spectacles, and he's literally engraving Brooks's name onto and the trophy. And that surname is not easy to spell. Correct. And so Brooks is there with his his agent, his caddy, and his girlfriend. And just them, it's very, very intimate. And, but there's no security, there's no nothing. Yeah. There's um, uh, Pete Kowalski of the USGA is there. And Pete's used to me sneaking around. And so he, he sees me, he kind of rolls his eyes. Pete gets what we do. He, he gets it. He's not going to boot me out. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing my job. I'm helping yeah. to promote the United States Open. Yeah. So anyway, so, you know, Brooks is there. And it's a really sweet moment. And it's really quiet. So I, I just, I'm like, what do you think, Brooks? You know, just like trying to get something yeah. out of him. And um, um, and he just kind of just said, this is like the coolest thing ever. And well, it's just, neat. You got then, your name on a trophy with Ben Hogan, Tiger Woods, and Jack exactly. Nicholas and Bobby Jones. I, I mean, and, it's neat. And, and then it's, it's neat to see your name going on there. And it's neat for you as the, as the reporter to observe it. Yeah. You know, and, I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. We take you behind the curtain. And then they all they all had they all had a drink in hand, and so when that ended, they did a little. They all came just just Brooks's circle. They just came together, did a little cheers and a toast, and some really meaningful things were said. And it was a beautiful way to end the story. That's that was great. all right. So let's let's give the people what they really want because I'm not sure anyone besides me and you is enjoying this podcast. Let's do five minutes on this year's Masters. Do we have it in us? Yes. Okay. 
That that was so insincere. See, you're going to play the Masters again this year. <laughs> they're going to play. And what will the winner get this year? They actually the trophy's cool. Have you seen the trophy? The 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 silver reproduction of the clubhouse. Yo, it's great beautiful. Yeah. I mean, everyone focuses on the jacket, which is yeah. cool. But oh no, that's it's the amazing. It's the best. By trophy. the way, I believe this is correct. If you go to the Spring Mill. Spring Hill? What do they call that chain? Spring uh, Hill the Marriott yeah. chain. Yeah. So the Spring Hill Suites in Latrobe, PA. I believe one of Arnold's four replicas of the clubhouse is on display there. I know I've seen it in Latrobe. I think that's, that's where there it is. But he owns that, or he his estate uh, ha- half owns that uh, that hotel, which that's is right. you know the best place to stay uh, in in Latrobe. Do you ever, do you ever get people ask you? Do you get this question from time to time? Uh, so the Masters. Where are they going to play that this year? My cab driver yesterday <laughs> asked me that, and it's so funny. I mean, well, that was you know that was the question that 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 buried Martha Burke before a protest even began, when she was saying they could move the Masters. And right. They could move it to Cypress Point because it's Alistair McKenzie, and it's it's a it's a cloistered little private club mm-hmm. that that could somehow try and reproduce the vibe, but they're not going to, and it wouldn't yeah. really be the Masters. It yeah. would be a very you know. It'd be the Augusta National Invitational at a remote site, but it wouldn't be the Masters. Yeah. So, no, I think I think they'll play in Augusta this year, and yeah. probably next. Yes. So, yes. so what do we think about about the Masters? You, I watched Tiger play a lot in the West, you know, on Tory, and uh, a little bit at Riv. You, you were all over him in Florida. We we got to do a Tiger Riff. Yeah, yeah. Can, I saw Tiger play uh, the four rounds at Honda, or parts of it, uh, and. Uh, Parts of the four rounds at uh, Bay Hill, and then I saw just a little part of the uh, the last round at Tampa in person. And uh, I'm sure I think what everybody thinks. It's absolutely amazing what this guy has done with his life and his golf game since Memorial Day. I know we talk about that hydrant a lot, and I know people get annoyed at us sometimes for bringing up that hydrant so often. But the in the hydrant, of course, is a euphemism for what we're really saying, which is, you know, uh, the total disintegration of Tiger's private life and his standing in the world. But I don't see how we can't not talk about it because there really are two chapters of Tiger's life, pre-hydrant and post-hydrant, and I think it would be just unrealistic. And the fact is he hasn't won a major championship since running over that hydrant. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, I just lost my uh, my train of thought here. Well, and then I think, I think when it comes to the, the Memorial Day episode of – you know, we all saw that very disturbing uh, mugshot of what Tiger looked like that night. And I know there's a lot of Tiger fans who don't understand why we sort of, you know, gravitate toward the negative, blah, 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 blah. But the fact is, where Tiger Woods was that night in his life, he could have lost his own life, the lives of others. I mean, it's a serious, serious uh, piece of business uh, where he was. And so where he was then and where he is now and how fit he looks, how healthy he looks, how happy I would say he looks, not, not the not that we really know what's going on in the person's life and how he's playing is absolutely extraordinary. Um, now he didn't play what last year or the year before, is that correct? 16 and 15. I think he last played in 14. Um, I mean, Tiger Woods, as we know, can roll out of bed in top 10 at Augusta national. That's how well he plays Augusta national with his C minus game. Like when he came back um, after the hydrant thing, in 2010. So I think, I don't want to speak for you, Alan, but I'll just speak for myself and you tell me what you think. I think it's almost inconceivable that he won't contend. And how exciting is that and how unexpected is that given where he was on Memorial Day? Highly unexpected and and super exciting. And, you know, you talk about 2010, which to me is maybe the greatest performance of Tiger's career. His life is in ashes. He hasn't touched a golf club. He's been through hell and back. 
he hasn't played any tournament golf and he shows up there and hits some of the most electric shots, makes two eagles in one round. Um, you know, what he shot, 68 on Thursday. It just absolutely mind boggling. He even had a chance to win it. And then you mentioned the, the Armin Kintea and Jeff Benedict book, but this story has been told in, in other places, including the big miss. And I mean, he and Hank have, that was the week that Hank and Stevie decided they were done with Tiger because yeah. of his behavior and everything else. And they have this blow up on the range on Sunday before the final round. All that's going on. He still finishes, what, fourth? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's absolutely inconceivable. So yeah. I agree he'll be in the mix. I, I'm in uh, my Ask Allen column on uh, golf.com. Between the K and the A, is there a space? No, I, I like to smash okay. it together, but mm-hmm. it's it's for it's for the hashtag purposes. If you mm-hmm. put the space in there, you lose the hashtag. Come on, Mike. Yeah, I made a reference to it the other day. I, I was print. so flattered, and my fine editor Sean Zock, sitting to my left right here, keeping this whole thing. I think he correctly got it. A S K. Yes. Capital A. No space between the K and A. Yeah. Well done, Sean Zock. But I, I missed the uh, the cuss word, abbreviating the F word. When you quoted something, that's okay. We don't we don't edit people's language, Sean. They can speak yeah. however they want. We we trust the readers are adults and they can handle it. But anyway, in the column, um, you know, someone said, "How many drivers will Tiger have to hit at Augusta National?" Because that's clearly the weakest part of his game right now, and he's playing with a certain amount of fear and defensiveness with the driver. And when you look at Rory, you look at Dustin, the way they're driving the ball. It, <laughs> You, you cannot beat Dustin Johnson if he's hitting driver well and you're hitting two iron. You, it doesn't matter how good the rest of your game is. You're giving up 80 yards. It can't. You cannot beat a top player that way, and that's what Tiger's doing right now. He's he's giving up a massive advantage to the other top players. And so, I mean, and I went through the whole round. I mean, Tiger, there's 11 holes on Augusta National where you could or should hit driver, depending. And if, so, if you step on that first, you with the three wood first off. Then you're hitting a four iron into that in the first the hardest green. Green's impossible. Yeah, over that green's impossible. Left and right's bad. Uphill short, it's okay, but not good. Uh, I mean, to get it around the corner on two, depending on where the flag is on three, you want to hit driver. I mean, seven's a driver now. Um, obviously, eight's a driver. Eight. Mm-hmm. Maybe nine, depending on how you want you want to shape it. Mm-hmm. Eleven. Is, if you can hit a drusha, you got to hit driver there. But I don't know yeah. that you can hit a drusha with that uh, I know. with that driver. So, anyway, so. I, because of the emotion that that place invokes in Tiger, because of his guile and his knowledge and his craftiness, I, I do think he, he, he has to will himself into contention. But I just don't think he can win unless something drastically changes with not only how he's swinging the driver, but more importantly, how he feels about it. And, you know, that that shot he jacked out of bounds at, at Bay Hill. And obviously, with Rory's finishing kick, he wasn't Tiger wasn't going to win anyway, theoretically. But if he's Tiger got a post, I mean, Tiger was if, got a post he, in the house. But he didn't know that he's house. only one back at that moment. Yep. And if Tiger makes a three there yep. on sixteen, maybe that affects Rory, and he doesn't make all those birdies. Exactly. So the point is, that was a revealing, that was a revealing moment for him. Not only to hit yep. that shot, which was shocking, but yep. then to say afterwards, um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, and I was indecisive and. When did Tiger Woods ever make a mental error? Ever. He was honest. Yeah. Uh, but it, the but honesty it, was refreshing. But it but, was so un- uncharacteristic. And, I mean, if you go back to, to Innisbrook, you know, 18th hole, must make birdie. I mean, Patrick Reed was in the same spot. He hit driver. And he, you know, t- for Tiger to bunt a layup, yep. it's defensible in that it's a hard fairway to hit. But when when you got to make a birdie to yep. leave yourself that far back, it, I mean, that that 
to me was a very revealing moment. And yeah. so I just, as many, and while Augusta National is more forgiving off the tee than a U.S. Open or even most PGAs, you still have to drive it well because the ball will run into the trees. There's obviously, you can, there's a creek on two, there's a creek on 13. Um, you have, you can miss, but you can't miss big like Tiger is missing big with the driver and and just the lack of uh, belief. So to me, I don't know how he can win, but he's Tiger Woods more and more. He's looking like Tiger Woods and maybe he'll, he'll, he's got, he'll pull out one more rabbit. I don't know. And we don't know what he'll figure out in the, in these two weeks uh, between Bay Hill and, and the masters. He might be able to figure out something. I mean, he, he, he hit the very sad sort of cut hold slice basically uh, to, to put it in play. It only went about uh, 270 in these past few years. And it was sad to actually see him uh, make swings that way. But now that he's so much stronger and so much fit and has so much more, surety about what the back can do. Uh, maybe he'll figure out some kind of cut driver shot that he can play that can go 300 anyway. Yeah. Um, well, he uh, hit his three with 300, but I mean, you yeah. know, at Augusta, guys are hitting their driver 360, well, 380. I yeah. mean, um, so well, that's that's true. Uh, so it's interesting. It's interesting to think that, you know, what now what, what I would have thought was would really stop him from winning Augusta National, I thought it would be uh, poor chipping and poor putting. But what we've seen through that Florida swing was that he chipped and putted beautifully. I it, mean, even at Torrey, he he pitched the ball and chipped the ball beautifully and putted well. And, and at Riviera, he was so far offline. He had absolutely no chance. Well, he was far offline at, at Torrey, too, but, yeah. you know, kind of put well, it's together. A, I mean, it's amazing. To me, that's, that's the the most impressive part of this this comeback is – I mean, people want to dismiss the chip yips. I mean, I was, I was at Torrey – in 15 when tiger was hitting it sideways and he was he couldn't even keep the ball anywhere near the putting surface and the the emotional toll that takes i mean for even a recreational golfer let alone tiger woods uh, it's incredible he's figured that i still i need to see him do it at augusta before i'm fully gonna buy in that they're in remission and you know those lies are so tight and so precise and the penalty for for a bad shot is so high there and those greens are so unforgiving. Like that is the ultimate test. If, if he, if he can get through that week without without any any chip yips, and I'll, we'll say they are in remission. They're not gone forever. It's like a virus; it just lives in your system. It can always come out again, but at yeah. least it's in remission. Yeah. Well, um, it's like an alcoholic. You know, you're you're always in recovery as yeah. a yipper. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it's always somewhere in the back of your mind that that you have yipped and you could yip again. Um, but he did chip the ball beautifully. But I agree with you. The Gus National uh, fairways and the Gus National greens have just a, another level of speed and, and firmness to him, if, especially if it's if it's dry, that can make it ext- extremely challenging. But I think we're both saying the same thing. We'll be surprised to see him not contend, but would be amazed to see him win. That, that's I, how I feel. I, I, I totally agree. Let, let's, let's, a couple minutes on film are out because we, we're Phil completists. We've been following mm-hmm. him his entire career. And mm-hmm. he... I mean, the, well, who do you like better between Phil and Tiger? Who do you like better to have a higher finish, Phil or Tiger? Phil, Phil. He's, I mean, he's he's playing beautifully, Tita Green. He still has the wedge game. He's making putts. He, I mean, think about Tiger. He hasn't won the Masters since two thousand five. Uh, Phil's won it three times in that period. Yeah. Uh, he, when they made the changes to the golf course. You know, everyone called it tiger proofing, and you'd kind of roll your eyes. But in fact, it he became tiger proofed because be- he didn't win since. It became a longer, harder, tighter test, and it's not that Phil drives it great, but he's figured out a way to get around 
in a way that Tiger hasn't. And obviously there's extenuating circumstances with injuries and all this other stuff. But even so, I mean, Tiger was the best in the world in, in 06, 07, 08, 09. He didn't win the Masters then. He was back to number one in, in 2012, 2013. He didn't win it then. I mean, it's there's just Phil has the formula. And as we know, Phil's an emotional golfer. And there's, mm-hmm. there's places that inspire him. Pebble Beach is one. That's why he's won there a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Phoenix, San Diego, because it's where he used to live. But no places like Augusta National for him. Mm-hmm. And as, as, as good as he's playing and as much fun as he's having and that bounce in his step, I can't imagine he's not going to be there on Sunday evening. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree with all that. I just I wonder if somewhere in the back of Phil's mind, all his mental energy is focused on Shinnecock Hills. And uh, as he is wont to do, in my opinion, he's, I've never heard him actually say this or even acknowledge this or even talk about this. But, you know, he does look ahead. They always say, oh, don't look ahead. Oh, he does look ahead. I think Shinnecock Hills has got to be the one week that's really looming for him because, as we know, this guy's going to turn 48 this year. He's won three of the, uh, the, of the four Grand Slam events. Uh, and to be in the pantheon of pantheons he needs that u.s open there aren't that many more chances in shinnecock hills a tree, basically a treeless golf course uh with very firm uh sometimes small greens different sizes really but um uh lends itself to to a pitching game and a chipping game and a button bunker game um he, i think he's got to be thinking about shinnecock hills already and and salivating at the opportunity so uh he may not have that extra moment of juice that phil seems to need to really get it done but i feel like with tiger uh he should be in the mix and uh, how much fun is that i mean who would have possibly guessed that a couple of years ago that we'd be talking about phil and tiger in a meaningful way <laughs> it's unbelievable um although uh, to your Phil point, he's been in that in that boat now for a decade where he's trying to get the U.S. Open. That's what he needs, and he's still played well at the Masters. And don't forget the U.S. Open goes to Pebble Beach next year where he's, he's, won, well, four, he's won four clam bakes, and that's another golf course that he should play well at. Great points. And that was his first U.S. Open when he turned pro was at Pebble. I mean, that would be the ultimate fairy tale end to the Mickelson era. If you can, if, I mean, Shinnecock would be great. Pebble would be even better. He's a California guy. He has so much history on that golf course. I mean, you shot – Shot, he turned pro for the 92 U.S. Open, shot 68, for, and it was like, here we go. This is Phil Mickelson. He's going to win 40 majors. And then it's been – it's uh, yep. it was a long, twisty road, but um, Pebble would be a great bookend too. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, yeah, but I anyway. I about Pebble next year. All right, I, we could do another two hours here, but I don't think our, our listeners can. So why don't we wrap it up? But this is not the end. This is the beginning. We're going we're gonna to do this okay. again, Michael. All right. Even Good though time. you don't want to, I'm going to make you. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, it seems like, like, was that the same conversation we were talking about Jaime Diaz? Like, that was a long time ago. Have we talked about Jaime today? I don't recall. <laughs> exactly my point. All right. Well, we're going to wrap this up from from the world headquarters in uh, in lower Manhattan. This is Alan Shipnuck for Michael Bamberger and the rest of the, the Golf.com empire. Thanks for tuning in. We'll have more great podcasts coming your way soon. I promise. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you.